0: So, all right, hello once again to all of you out there, cotton companions, loyal listeners out there uh, in points unknown throughout the Cotton Belt. From California to the Carolinas, we want to thank you for tuning in. We're back with this, the 25th episode. We are a quarter century, not a quarter century, we're a quartered away to, to 100, for whatever that's worth. Um,
1: <laughs> we're a lot farther than we were when we started. There
0: you go, uh, here on the world-famous Cotton Companion Podcast. As y'all know, my name is Beck Barnes. I'm the publisher and editor here at Cotton Grower Magazine, and I am here with my partner in crime, Cotton Grower Senior Editor Jim Stebman. Hello, Jim. Hello, Beck. We are uh, here in our Memphis office. It's Thursday, December one. I'm gonna ask y'all to bear with me in particular today because I've been call have my early December cough and and everything else going on, so throat's a little dry, so just hang in there if i start ha- having a, a cough fit i would say jim won't be doing that but i did hear him coughing a second ago
1: so anything is possible this time of year that's
0: right that's right it's just and i'm that. sure our
1: listeners will sympathize too
0: right well especially in the, uh you know in the mississippi delta where i'm from it's you know it's just the that type of time of year the cruddy time of year as far as sickness comes on anyhow um For y'all out there in the belt, what you got going on, we know most of y'all are put away and done for the year. I believe that there's still some harvesting going on in the High Plains. We're we're not doing a crop report.
1: We'll do a harvest report here in just a couple minutes. We'll do a
0: harvest report. Okay, then I don't want to step on Jim's toes. I will say um, I was having breakfast this morning with Barry Evans from out there in Crest, Texas, and he was telling me that the crop up there on the the northern High Plains and, and farther north is just tremendous this year. So uh, congrats to all y'all for, for uh, a good harvest. I hope that everybody out there has a big harvest year. Um, and it, from what I've heard around the around the belt, there's a lot of that going on this year. A lot of people had a really good crop. So that's good. We love hearing that. Big ups to all of you who are out there perfecting the trade and making these big crops. I will uh, raise my glass to you if I wind up with a glass this weekend to toast. I, I will do it. I promise. So uh, for today though, we do have a good one lined up for y'all uh, with this episode. We're gonna cover a lot of bases today. We're talking about the global crop outlook because we know how worldly you boys and girls are out there and I mean that sincerely because uh, so many of you who I run into out there in the real world I want to know what's going on in China and India and, and uh, in various spots around the world. So Jim here has prepared a little report, I believe based off the Rabobank global Absolutely. Uh, crop outlook, so that'll be nice to have. We're also going to discuss a uh, recent report that, that I just saw uh, come across the wire this week about Bayer making plans with what it's going to do with its cotton seed brands as part of the new Bayer-Monsanto merger, um, so we'll check in with the latest news there. And We're also going to talk about this uh, ongoing reaction to really, I would say, the bulk of our program today. Going to be about EPA's uh, recent approval of Monsanto's Extendamax with Vapor Grip herbicide. Uh, that's a dicamba-based herbicide. And we're going to talk about some of the fallout uh, that had, no pun intended, truly uh, that has happened since that news broke last week. Jim was just bringing me up to speed on uh, the various uh, reactions that have come about, especially here in the mid south, to uh, the EPA's approval of that specific herbicide. Uh, and on a related note, a very related note, Jim went out there this week and grabbed a great interview with Mr. Anthony Mills. He is the weed management technology development rep at Monsanto for the lower mid-south. My Monsanto guys, I love y'all. These titles y'all got, well, they're, they're rather long, but I respect that. We're good with it. Jim interviewed uh, Anthony, uh, who was kind of the perfect guy to talk to, Uh, about some of these reactions that have happened to EPA's approval of this herbicide. And so uh, you won't want to miss that interview. We'll bring it to you a little later on in this episode. So you hang around with us. Uh, You don't want to miss any of that good cotton content we have for you. For now, we're going to take a quick break. We want you to hang around, and we will be right back.
2: Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed.
1: Well, welcome back to the Cotton Companion. Uh, as Beck said, we're going to take a look at a couple of uh, of news items from the industry uh, that have popped up here over the last couple of weeks. And as usual, uh, as we always seem to do, we're going to start with the USDA reports, the most recent one, and this one will be the one as of uh, November 27th. Uh, at this point, the only report we're getting on cotton is cotton harvested uh, percentages. So uh, as of le- last weekend, November 27th, we were looking at 77% of the cro- cotton crop across the Cotton Belt has been harvested. That's a 10% jump in the past week. Uh, that means there's some really good, some been some good weather and, and some good conditions for folks to get out and uh, and get the cotton out of the fields. Uh, as Beck mentioned, most of the Mid South is finished or nearly finished. Same thing in the Southeast. There's still some work to do out there, but we're still in the, in the uh, high 90 percentiles on that. The biggest bulk of the activity and the biggest uh, percentage jumps for the week came from Texas, which is no surprise. Texas is now at 62% done, which means all of that work that's going on in the High Plains that that Beck mentioned uh, is is still still moving quickly. Uh, Also had a good 15% jump in Kansas, which again is no surprise. Same basic geography at this point. A couple single-digit percentage jumps in You know, over in the Carolinas, who are you are trying to catch up on some things? Oklahoma and California, which is this is pretty much their normal uh, normal harvest cycle, also. So, uh, 77 percent of the crop uh, is at the gin or through the gin at this point. Uh, That sounds like a good number, but when you look at the five-year average, we're still running right now about seven percent behind. So, we'll see how things work out here over the next couple weeks as uh, as as the pickers and the strippers. Uh, finish the work that they're uh, they're currently doing
0: yeah it seems so uh, it just seems so counterintuitive to me that those the farther north you go the later they are mm-hmm. getting the crop out and I actually brought that I mentioned that to Barry this morning and he said well yeah you know this the spring comes later there they can't plant and it's kind of a duh moment for me like oh yeah well and, and
1: and to be to be sure though a lot of the the, the dryland growers up in that area don't actually apply defoliants to the crop they wait for first frost oh really to knock the, to knock the leaves off so and it's been a it's been a late frost for a lot of those folks so yeah. uh, you know it harvest was delayed in some areas simply because of, uh, of cropping decisions
0: That's true but you are a font a true font of information by the way <laughs> Ms. appreciate that my
1: brain is full of useless information <laughs> as many people have pointed out many times right. And I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do to shake it out at this point. <laughs> it is what it is. Spec uh, also mentioned we, uh, we took a look at the the Rabobank uh, global. Let's see what do they call this. The Global Outlook 2017 report this week, and I'm just going to hit the high points on this because it's it's far too detailed to uh, to go into in any depth whatsoever. But basically, what they are saying is uh, there are record high stock levels. Uh, are set to keep worldwide food prices relatively low during 2017, but yet at, and even as inflation starts rising in many developed economies. And these are these are just some of the things they're looking at. There are three key points they looked at in this report. Uh, one, the high global stock levels are expected to keep food prices low, uh, with the wild card, and they say that in parentheses, of China. Uh, continuing to potentially sell from huge reserves. Obviously, that could have, have some impact. Uh, the, the Trump presidency, uh, according to Rabobank, brings some uncertain currency uncertainty, which could translate into volatile food prices, while elections in Europe add further unpredictability. So again, we're looking at it from a global perspective. And the third point, changing global demographics are going to continue to, uh, to influence demand for meat dairy, and animal feed. Uh, the report looked at the prospects for 13 uh, crucial food and agricultural commodities. And, uh, and in this, of course, it highlights the role of China in creating for, potentially creating further uncertainty in the market. Uh, they have huge stocks sitting there of many key commodities, uh, estimates suggesting 60% of global cotton supplies over half of the, of the world's corn supplies, 40% of wheat, 21% of soybeans. Uh, their comments, if China decides to begin selling off some of these reserves, much like they are doing with cotton, uh, it could lead to depressed global prices for commodities in some of these areas. Um, the uh, Stefan Vogel, who is Rabobank's head of agri-commodity markets, uh said in this report, after three years of declining prices and extreme weather, uh, wrecking crops in many important agricultural regions, 2017 looks set to bring some much-needed stability to food prices. Nevertheless, record global stock levels mean prices are likely to remain stubbornly low. That's good news for consumers, but not necessarily good news for world's farmers at this point. Uh, they are look. they predicting that volatility in the global currency markets is going to have an impact on agricultural commodity prices. And and again, step back and think about it. You know, the euro is likely to uh, to depreciate as a result of elections in France, Holland, and in Germany. Uh, we've yet to see what the impact on is going to be in uh, in Great Britain, where the pound has declined since the Brexit vote back in June. Uh, and obviously, the jury is still out and we're still waiting to see what's going to happen after the results of uh, the U.S. presidential election as, as uh, President-elect Trump puts his team in place and, and what impact that may have on the market or the economy. Uh, just one last comment on this from, uh, from Mr. Vogel, while farmers, consumers, and commodity traders will all be keeping an eye on potentially volatile currency prices during 2017, Overall, the fundamentals are remaining strong. Global population is growing, prosperity is rising, and that's fueling the switch to more expensive meat and dairy-rich diets. In Rabobank's view, global food prices should remain the main hold up, even if farmers are braced for little or no commodity price growth during the year. Now, just looking at the, uh, they also have a little chart, uh, looking at the 17 key commodity prices, groups that they looked at, and we're just going to take a quick look at what they say about cotton. To be honest with you, they are not expecting much change in the cotton price uh, during 2017, although they do see it shifting more to the bullish side slightly. So right now our cotton prices are holding, now we're on the March contract, and I think our prices are holding in the low 70s at this point. So um, (coughs) what what they are saying is they expect cotton to strengthen slightly. As a third consecutive global deficit evolves, uh, key risk factors to keep an eye on: a strengthening La Niña, Chinese destocking or selling of reserves, and, as always, competition for man made fibers. So, uh,
0: there. I want to make sure I heard that right. They're projecting a twenty seventeen global stock deficit, meaning at the yes. end of seventeen, we will have
1: we will have
0: fewer cotton on. In the world yeah
1: the world world stock okay ending stocks number you
0: know you got to talk slow when, when you're when you're talking about that stuff to this old miss boy Jim as you're aware
1: okay a couple more things um, as Beck mentioned uh, the news came out this week through uh, through Reuters uh, first of all we've talked about mergers and acquisitions on this podcast off and on for the for the past year and Quite honestly, the the level of activity or the news from all of the, the large potential mergers has been relatively slow for the last month or so. And, you know, as, as things move more into the uh, examination and regulatory phases and, and things like that. So uh, it was really kind of interesting to see a little report out of Reuters this week quoting Liam Condon, uh, who heads up Bayer's Crop Science Division, publicly saying that Bayer expects to, uh, to sell some of their cotton and canola seed businesses to help uh, allay or offset any antitrust concerns about its acquisition of Monsanto. I don't know that any of this comes as a surprise. I think most people who, who looked at the, the potential on this merger realized something was going to have to uh, have to move from one side to the other. Uh, as Condon was saying, he was quoted as saying, in North America, the combined market share in cotton is indeed quite high when you look at Bayer and Monsanto together. Uh, we anticipate that parts of this business may have to be divested, uh, with another strong market position emerging in canola. So uh, as, as it, the, the article concludes, uh, several antitrust experts have said regulators would likely demand the sale of some soybean, cotton, and canola seed assets. So. Uh, we'll see how this is going to work out. This is a deal that's not going to to move quickly at this point. I think they were still looking at the end of next year as the uh, as the, the finalization point on this. Uh, we'll see. there are still some roadblocks that have to uh, have to be overcome both in Europe and and in the US.
0: Yeah, that's what you know the story that broke this week. I feel like the first time we talked about this merger on this podcast, we acknowledged more likely than not they're going to have to divest.
1: Something's going to have to move. Some yeah. of these
0: cotton, one or two of these cotton seed brands. Right. And so this story that broke this week was really the first confirmation of that you had from an official Bayer source who said, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we're probably going to do. You know, So it's not earth-shattering news, but it is confirmation of what we suspected. Right.
1: And we're certainly not going to sit here and speculate which brands no. uh, will uh, – will be impacted by this. And finally, as uh, as as we as Beck set up uh, in the intro, um, there's been an awful lot of activity in the market, particularly here in the Mid-South and, and, and certainly other parts of the country, but the Mid-South in particular since uh, it seems to be where uh, most of the action is at this point, regarding the registration of Extendamax uh, with Vapor Grip, the new dicamba, low-volatility dicamba herbicide uh, from Monsanto that was approved by EPA on no, back on November 9th. As soon as that registration came through, uh, it didn't take very long before the Arkansas Plant Board uh, set up a public hearing for November 21st. Uh, and once that meeting, uh, once the doors opened at that meeting, uh, it basically was a... Uh, uh, Let's see, 160 people crammed into the meeting room and two overflow rooms. They had 20 different people testify, uh, you know, with with input about what they should or shouldn't do. Uh, It was a three-hour public meeting. And as a result of that meeting, the Arkansas Plant Board has voted to push measures to the state's governor that would ban some forms of the herbicide and limit how and when newer dicamba formulations can be used in the state. Um, so again, to, to, to just a quick backup, Extenmax was approved on November 9th. It is a DGA uh, dicamba herbicide with a uh, additive called vapor grip that uh, helps, <clears throat> excuse me, helps reduce the volatility of the dicamba. Uh, so in, in, in all of the testimony and all of the work and things like that, uh, there were four proposals. That uh, that were sent to the governor and legislature for consideration because that's the only way they can actually, uh, you know, come into into law uh, in the state. The first one was to ban dicamba herbicides of the D, the DMA salt and acid formulations. In other words, Banvil, which is the original dicamba product, except on pastures, pastures, pastures. But only if susceptible crops are at least one mile away in all directions. Not pastures. I don't want to. No, we don't want to. We don't want to use them on pastors. No I'm sorry for for those of you in the you know <laughs> our pastors. Yeah, please don't be out spraying your pastors at this point. <laughs> uh, that's that's the first proposal. The second proposal is to prohibit spraying of all dicamba composed of the DGA salt and the sodium salt from April fifteenth through September fifteenth except on pastures, pastures or pastures, here we go. Pastures or rangelands, again, with a one mile buffer. This includes the new Extendamax formulation from Monsanto and a similar DGA-based formula that DuPont is licensing from Monsanto. Uh, the third proposal, farmers who are planning to use BASF, BASF's Ingenia herbicide, which is a different salt of dicamba, and has not yet been approved by EPA. We want to point out here: uh, use it on extend cotton and soybeans. Must have a quarter mile downwind buffer zone and a 100 foot buffer in other directions. Uh, and also, the, the the big kicker here is the requiring anyone who uses these applied products on the extend and the enlist technology, the new 24D technology that's coming from from Dow. Uh, that anyone who uses those products have to complete a new technology certification training program before they can, uh, before they can go to the fields with, with the product. Uh, these proposals are now on the way to the Arkansas governor uh, and will eventually be brought before a legislative committee for a final decision on it. So um, Arkansas has, has stepped up quickly to put some restrictions in place. Uh, it was probably Arkansas and the Boot Hill of Missouri, probably the two areas that had the most instances of off-target dicamba use and off-label dicamba use this year. Well, pe- uh,
0: people lodging formal complaints with right. the, with the Plant Board there. I mean, documented absolutely cases. So I uh, I couldn't help but chuckle. Jim was telling me about a little bit about this story just a little while ago uh, at the thought of, I think he said, 160 people showing up at this plant board meeting. That's got to be some sort of record for public interest. <laughs> and I can't imagine those things are normally all that well attended. Um, but this has been a hot-button issue, as, the, as Jim was just it has, trying to say. It
1: has, definitely, definitely. So, uh, and earlier this week, uh, I set in on a presentation that Dan Reynolds, who's professor of weed science at Mississippi State University, uh, made on the these two oxen herbicides on the extendamax and the uh, the enlist system a uh, couple of thing couple of points that he made out is he he made in this presentation is these products are significant because right now we're in a period of high resistance and there has been no new herbicide mode of action introduced in over 20 years that's you know just sort of stop and think for a minute you know it's been Twenty years since a new mode of action came in to this market, and I was trying to think the other day exactly what that would be, and I'm not going to venture a guess without knowing for sure.
0: Oh, well, now you peaked my interest. I'm sitting here going, <laughs> "Mode of action."
1: I'm sure. I'm sure some of our listeners will let us know.
0: This is one of those things where it's like better to keep your mouth shut and yes. people think you silent than open your mouth. People think you dumb. I think that was so a yeah, saying. Yeah,
1: and, and I don't have to open my mouth very much for people to think that. So. Well,
0: hold on. No, let's do. Let's let's just let me let's, just say. What, Twenty years ago would be nineteen ninety six. So that would be uh, Roundup, right? I mean, that was no about,
1: Roundup was long before then.
0: A new mode of action in T two. You were talking about cotton.
1: A new mode of ac- new herbicide mode of action. Now, I don't know if it was in cotton or not. It may be in a, in a, in another crop. There been oh, he, different- means,
0: he means just in agriculture in, in general. agriculture in general. So, okay, all yeah, right, that makes sense. So
1: then you got to expand your influence. You know, your your search all the way up into the wheat and grain markets and and things like that.
0: Yeah, I, I, which I know zero about to be right. sure. So never mind. Then I will just be quiet. From <laughs> <here now.
1: laughs> but uh, to continue. As, uh, as Dan said, there are two task forces at work in Mississippi right now examining how best to integrate these technologies into the state's row crop agriculture. There's one task force that was authorized by the Commissioner of Agriculture and a second task force that's commissioned by the Delta Council, uh, a group who carry, carries great influence uh, in that, that central Mississippi Delta, true Delta area. Um, and then Dan went into a little detail about the training program that Mississippi State is currently developing to meet mandatory training requirements for growers because in Mississippi growers will also be required to complete a training program before using these products. And apparently they've taken a they've they've really jumped ahead of the curb on this in putting the uh, these programs, starting to put these programs in place. He says right now there are six different training modules. All of them are going to be available online, so it will be, um, you know, like a uh, an extended learning or a remote learning situation for uh, for growers. All you need is a computer. uh, Log in. You can use your uh, you know your your licensing number, your registration number for application registration number to uh, to get into the systems. Uh, And there's going to be an exam at the end of each module. Uh, The first four modules you're saying should be ready by January 1st. And those first four modules are going to focus on an introduction to herbicide-resistant weeds, an introduction to the auxin herbicides. Uh, The next one's going to talk about off-target movement from drift or volatility. And the fourth one will talk about off-target movement uh, from equipment, and more particularly and more importantly, how to properly clean out. Uh, the equipment to make sure you don't, you're not carrying uh, dicamba or 2,4-D into into other fields. The other two modules that will take just a tad longer to put together. One will review the Enlist Duo label once that product is approved. <coughs> Excuse me, there's my dry throat. And the other will review the Extendamax grip label, and that's something they're working on at this point. Um, these programs are going to uh, to be available. They're going to make Mississippi State's going to make the program available to other companies or other organizations. I believe Arkansas has already reached out to Mississippi to uh, to see if they if they could use this program to meet their training requirements. <coughs> and uh, in addition to the mandatory training, Mississippi is likely to put a 10 mile per hour wind speed cap on applications uh, using Extend-to-Max. And List duo, and I believe that requirement is also being put in place in Arkansas at this point, which is less than the EPA label. A
0: little more restrictive than a little that, more
1: restrictive than EPA than label. That
0: EPA label,
1: yeah. Uh, I think at, at this point, when you look at what the states are doing, uh, they're really just going slow and cautious with these products, and that's that's probably rightfully so. Uh, you know, let's let's go into uh, an introductory year uh, with these situations and these requirements in place, and see what happens. Uh, I mean, EPA the EPA label for Extendamax is only a five-year label, uh, which gives them the flexibility to make adjustments as they need to, uh, as as we get more experience and, and and more action out in the field. So. Uh, it's been interesting watching this. I don't think it's, it's a story that's not going to go away at this point. And, uh, and like Beck said, it was one of the reasons that we were able to get in touch with uh, with Anthony Bills with Monsanto and spend a few minutes with him to uh, to uh, have him explain more details about the Extendamax uh, product and the label and some of the things that uh, they're looking for and other recommendations that they're going to put in place uh, as part of their wheat control system for growers. So. Uh, please stay tuned for for that little for that nine minute interview. There you
0: go. Yeah, obviously a lot of a lot of interest uh, in this registration that just came down the pipe. Uh, I guess it was two weeks ago now from EPA. Was it two weeks ago or three
1: weeks? Ago? November 9th, So three weeks ago.
0: Three weeks ago now. Um, so again, very good work by Jim to wrangle this interview uh, with our guy Anthony Mills where did I have his that long Anthony Mills this is the weed management technology development rep at Monsanto for the lower mid-south so hang with us we'll be right back and Jim will have that interview with Anthony on the flip side of this break
1: Welcome back to the Cotton Companion. Uh, As we've discussed, uh, the EPA approved the Extendamax herbicide with Vapor Grip Technology, Monsanto's product for the in-crop use with their Roundup Ready Extend crop systems in soybeans and cotton. Uh, It's something obviously many growers have been waiting for. And here visiting with us today is uh, Monsanto Weed Management Technology Development Representative, Anthony Mills. Uh, Anthony works the lower Mid-South area for Monsanto, and uh, he's going. we're gonna visit with him just a little bit about the technology and what growers can expect as we go into uh, into 2017. Anthony, thanks for joining us today.
2: Appreciate it, glad to be here, glad to talk about the technology with you.
1: All right, uh, first of all, Anthony, the approval came through, federal label came through a couple weeks ago. Uh, what's this approval mean for farmers as we move into 2017?
2: Yeah, that's right, the approval came through the first part of November, and, and this is an exciting time. Uh, not just for Monsanto, but for the growers here in the Lower Mid South, we now have a new tool that farmers can use to help control this resistant Palmer pigweed problem that we have down here. Uh-huh. Uh, once we get state approvals, that is.
1: Okay, and and what's the status right now on state approvals? I'm assuming they're all looking at them pretty much right now.
2: Right, they're. There are several states that have approved it already, but there's several more states that are looking at the label, reviewing, reviewing the label, having meetings with us. Uh, some states will probably put some additional restrictions as far as how the product can be used. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going through that process right now. Okay. Explain, uh, explain the product to me. What, uh, what does the vapor grip technology bring to, to this product? Extended with vapor grip is a low volatile dicamba formulation. Uh the the vapor grip additive in the formulation really is a step change in volatility reduction. Mm-hmm. Uh will be a fantastic product for growers to use in crop in both cotton and soybeans.
1: Okay. Um from a grower perspective again uh what sort of requirements or, or how can they best use this product as they go into next year? What
2: Really, what does the label, label allow them to do at this point? Well, the first thing that, that you want to do if you're considering growing uh, either Bogart 2 Extend Flex Cotton or Rounder Pretty 2 Extend Soybeans is you want to make sure you, you use a labeled dicamba product, mm-hmm. which right now, Extend Max with Vapor Grip is the only. Labeled dicamba product sure. for use in crop. Um, after that, you want to use a fully loaded residual program in combination with Extended Max. That's, that's really, really important. You want to start clean. You want to use a good burn down program to kill all your winter vegetation. Uh, you want to use an upfront pre emerge residual. And then you also want to use. Residual products in season, uh, as you know, Palmer pigweed is a uh, problem that just keeps coming all season long, and those residual products are important. Okay. Um, as far as the label goes, the max of Vapor Grip label uh, has several restrictions that are there to make sure the grower has a good experience with the technology. Uh, These restrictions need to be followed. Restrictions such as no ammonium sulfate added to the tank mixture, that's important. No aerial application. Uh, Specific nozzle sizes, uh, the Turbo T-Jet injection nozzles, an O4 size, operated at a maximum of 63 pounds of pressure, right now that's the only nozzle on the label. But that's important because that nozzle produces an ultra-coarse droplet size and that nozzle is less prone to drift than other nozzles might be. Mm-hmm. There's also um, restrictions on buffers on the label, buffer requirements, buffers towards sensitive areas as well as susceptible crops. And one thing I want to point out that's very important. if. The wind is blowing towards a susceptible crop, such as non dicamba soybeans. Mm -hmm. It's very important that that grower understand that he shouldn't spray that field that day. He needs to wait until the wind changes Mm -hmm. direction. This
1: is going to give them a little bit wider window of application, right? For, you know, because you're coming back over the top of the product. So they've got a little bit of time in there to wait if they need to in order to,
2: in order, to, in order to be able to come back. Well, yeah, they, they, the product has a wide window of application from the standpoint of, of, of the crop, What what is, what is allowed on the label from a crop mm-hmm. growth and development standpoint. For soybeans, you can spray up to the R1 stage, and in cotton, you can spray clear up to seven days prior to harvest, which is a very wide window. Sure. But from a Palmer pigweed standpoint, it's very important to target your applications early
0: uh-huh.
2: on very small palmer pigweeds. Right. Once those palmer pigweeds exceed four inches in size, uh-huh. they become very, very difficult to control. Okay. What about uh wind speed? Yeah, there there's there there, there is restrictions on the label for wind speed. Uh the label allows applications from three to fifteen miles per hour. But we really want to see those applications made between 3 and 10 miles per hour. Uh, Certain states may actually restrict the application to 10 miles per hour. Mm
1: -hmm. So as we're going into next year, really we're kind of, it's almost a learning process as we be able to bring this product out to the market. Uh, I know you've, uh, Monsanto's had an extensive educational program in place for the last several years about uh, the ExtendFlex system. Uh, What about continuing education? and other uh, other programs that, uh, that Monsanto and maybe other organizations are going to put in place
2: for, for next year? Well, as you know, we've been working with our government agencies trying to get this technology on the market now for several years. and So we've done extensive training already because we anticipated the label uh, several years ago. But with that said, we now have a label in front of us we now know specifics about the label, so we do Mm -hmm. need to train on those specifics. Uh, Monsanto has a uh, robust training plan in place to get out in the field and talk with all of our grower customers and retail customers about the label. We're also enlisting our university partners, my weed science colleagues at the universities, they'll be helping us do this training as well. Uh, We're confident that we can get the messages out there and train on this label uh, so that growers can have a good experience.
1: Uh-huh. It's an important tool and you want to make sure everybody understands the right way to use this
2: uh, so that everybody has a good experience with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, stewardship of this technology and of the max with vapor grip product is of utmost importance. I mean, if we don't have a good experience this first year, uh, that's not going to be good for Monsanto. It's not going to be good for the farmers. Right.
1: Um, I know I know. there's a lot of interest. There has been, obviously, for several years in the technology, and you've obviously worked closely with a lot of the university specialists on this. You've been to meetings where growers have, have been present and, and maybe have seen some plots on this. What's What's the general impression or the general indication or or anticipation out there in, in the, the market for this product right now?
2: Uh, this this technology has been anticipated now for several years, and the grower interest is extremely high. Uh, like you said, we've been working with our university partners for many years. Uh, their interest is extremely high. Uh, everyone thinks we need a new tool to help control Palmer pigweed. Everyone is excited about having the opportunity now to use this technology. Okay. Great.
1: Anthony, I appreciate your time. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to watch and see how things work as we move into uh, into the 2017 crop season. Uh, and uh, thank you for joining us today.
2: I appreciate it. Uh, one more thing I'd like to add. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a website, a, oh, yeah, a good absolutely. place to go for uh, reference material. It's www.roundupready.com extend.com. you can go there to get additional information. Sounds great. Anthony, thank you. We will be, uh, We'll obviously be watching and we'll stay
1: in touch as we move, uh, move into next year. Uh, we'll be right back with more of the Cotton Companion right after this.
0: Well, all right. That is going to just about do it for this, the twenty-fifth installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank you uh, truly for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, we want to encourage you to please tell your farmer buddies about us. Uh, tell them about this Cotton Companion podcast. We know that some of y'all are doing that. We watch as our numbers uh, have gone up. Our uh, analytics—we can look at through the wonders of digital media. We can look at how many people are actually tuning in and. And we know that many more of you are. I know that it's uh, you're transitioning out of uh, work season for many of you and uh, out of the cab of the tractor and into the deer stand and the duck blind. You know, if you're bored sitting in that deer stand, if it's a slow year, if you're getting skunked out there, put your earbuds in, listen to the Cotton Companion. Uh, we, will, we will keep you entertained during those maybe slower times in the deer stand. Believe me, I've, I've had a few, so.
1: We'll try not to make you laugh out loud.
0: There you go, yeah. We uh, uh, truly, we want to sincerely thank you for joining us, though. There's going to be three ways you can tell your buddies to get to us. You are likely using one of these three ways if you're listening to us right now. So uh, those three ways, number one, simply go to cottongrower.com, www.cottongrower.com. Search for the Cotton Companion in the search bar there. It'll take you to a landing page where each of our 25 episodes are housed. The second way, another good way. Just subscribe to our iTunes channel. Uh, if you have an iPhone, if you're familiar with the iTunes app on your smartphone, uh, it's pretty simple. You si- simply click on that thing, uh, search for the Cotton Companion in the search bar there, and you can subscribe to our channel. And uh, that way, every time we produce a new episode, it automatically downloads onto your phone there. Uh, if you do that, please subscribe, leave us a rating, let us know what you think of our pod. We love to have... a uh, audience feedback on each of our media platforms but especially this podcast this is a new venture for us so we won't know how well we're doing if you don't tell us or how poorly we're doing if you don't tell us Uh, we're big boys we can take it so the third and final way to find the Cotton Companion podcast uh, to be sure you receive each installment of this thing is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter the Cotton Grower e-newsletter Jim here works hard to pack that thing with all of the important relevant news of the day and uh, they hit your email inbox like clockwork each Tuesday morning. Uh, occasionally, during this time of year, you will find them uh, in your email inbox on Thursdays as well. Uh, and you can do that. You can subscribe to the uh, Cotton Grower e-newsletter at our website, www.cottongrower.com. You simply scroll to the bottom of the page and uh, you can find a link there that says subscribe. Click on that thing and it'll walk you through this process to subscribe for our e newsletter. It's pretty easy peasy. Also, uh, we want to make sure you're following us on social media. Uh, we're very active on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us on the former on Twitter at Cotton Grower Mag. Pretty simple. And on Facebook, you can find us by just searching for Cotton Grower Magazine in the Facebook search bar. We hope you are enjoying our latest issue, which is at this point the November issue. December should be hitting your mailbox at any moment now, and uh, that's a good one. We know you'll like it, so uh, look for that in the coming week. This podcast is produced by Mr. Mark Antonelli, who works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. As always, my name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Mr. Jim Stebman, We want to wish you and your farming operation all the best.